sums it up pretty well for us all as believers in Jesus Christ, because he lives. And uh, that dictates really what happens with the rest of our lives and into our eternity. And that was a theme that we really celebrated last Sunday, because he lives. And we uh, celebrated it through song, through word, through testimony. And we realized that we could not capture all of what happened on one Sunday morning. We tried. We went a pretty long time, but we finally had to call it quits. So we're continuing that theme, Because He Lives, over the next few weeks. And again, we won't even uh, come close to exhausting all that could be said, but we feel like we want to say a little bit more about Because He Lives and what that means to us uh, in our lives. One of the ways that we were blessed last week, and we continue to be blessed, is to hear testimonies of what the risen Savior means to each and every one of us. I know uh, we've been sharing some of those in our men's group. We heard many of them last week, and it continues to be a source of blessing. Is, is It's tangible that Jesus is alive, and this is how he impacts our lives and what he means, because he's alive and his spirit is working. So we continue to be encouraged through testimony. If you are here and you have a testimony of what Jesus is doing in your life, man, you saw what a blessing it is to hear those. Just uh, talk to one of our staff. We'd love to share your story some Sunday morning. Last week I was approached by someone who wanted to share their testimony on this Sunday, so I want to invite Katie Van Overen to come on up. And uh, Katie heard uh, Phyllis and John and Corey share last week, and she said, Pastor Bob, I want to share my story of what God has done for me. And so I'm so proud of Katie and uh, she is here this morning to share her story. And Katie, we want to thank you in advance for blessing us this morning. Tell you what, I will hold the microphone for you this morning, and then you can give your testimony, okay? Sure. A story of faith and more. Hi, my name is Katie Van Overland. I was born with Down syndrome almost 28 years ago. My birthday is May 4th, 1995. May the 4th be with you. <laughs> my mom and dad knew I had Down syndrome before I was born and were determined to give me the best life I could have. I was born a month early, had surgery on my intestines for hours after I arrived in the world. Because of this, I spent 17 days in neonatal and plaza hospital, healing and learning to drink my milk. I was baptized at Orchard Hill when I was about two years old. Many children with Down syndrome learn some basic signs to express themselves because they have difficulty with speech development. I was no different. During my baptism, I, when the water dribbles down my head, I mean, I sent for more, for more to let do I know how much more that Jesus would mean to me as I got older. I started school when I was very young. I would go to a couple of hours each day for my physical therapy to make my muscles stronger, to be with other kids. When I was older, I went to a regular classroom and tried to do what other kids did. But some kids were nice to me, but some picked on me because I was different. That made me sad. I also went to Sunday school that really loved Bible stories and songs we learned. 
They help me understand that Jesus loves me this way I am no matter what. I'm out of school and I'm older now. I have lots of friends and families that love me and help me make me stay very active. I work two days a week at First Hills Foods as a beggar and volunteer one morning we get chocolate center with my mom. We read and play with the kids. I also volunteer at Birdie's Bee Cafe, which is a small coffee shop in Ada, because jobs for individuals with disabilities like mine. I play lots of sports, so Special Olympics, and take some art classes with a program called Artists Creating Together. I try to be active at the church, participate in my communities. Activities offered during this year. My mom and, and I are joining the mission trip to Kentucky of this next week. It will be my first time doing something like that. But I still have times so I don't understand why things happen to me to be reminded of God who loves me, all of us. Sometimes the customers at the grocery store can say mean things and make me cry. I don't understand my disability. I also sometimes get sad thinking about my grandparents, some of my Special Olympic friends who have passed away. It's hard to understand why some people have to, to die. When I'm happy, sad, or mad, my mom and dad reminded me that God is there with me in his eyes. I'm perfect in a the way I am. Oh, I forgot to tell my mom and dad knew how important to God will be in my life. They gave me a special middle name. My full name is Caitlin Faith Vinovalen. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Katie. Katie, you had just enough water put on you because I'll never forget that in your baptism you were sealed and marked as Christ's own forever. And that is a wonderful, precious gift that we've seen developed uh, in your life for sure. Every Sunday, Katie shows me the books that she's going to read during my sermon. <laughs> Not quite sure how I feel about that. This morning we are continuing our theme, Because He Lives, and our Bible passage that we're going to look at this morning is Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. Hebrews 4, verses 14 through Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Let me pause just a minute. Let's redefine, you know, the great high priest. If we remember from our Old Testament, our Leviticus study, the high priest is the one who stood for God's people. He stood in the gap. He was the mediator between God and his people. And, uh, and what... Hebrews is pointing us to the fact is that Jesus is now the high priest, the great high priest. He's the one who stands between God and his people. And it tells us that he ascended into heaven. For we do not have a high priest 
who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is the word of the Lord. God, we are grateful for your word that you have not left us here uh, abandoned to our own thoughts, to our own ways, but that you have revealed to us your thoughts and your ways. And so this morning, God, will you send your Holy Spirit and open our hearts and minds to see your thoughts, your ways, and may we be transformed into the very image of Jesus Christ because of our encounter with your word this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. amen. I think this Bible passage gives us uh, an important insight regarding the status of Jesus as our risen Savior. This passage tells us quite clearly that Jesus has ascended into heaven. Jesus ascended into heaven. The book of Acts, Acts 1, verse 11, tells this story of how that happened. It says, after Jesus, sorry, I've started verse 9. After Jesus said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. And a cloud hid, the, hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently into the sky as he was going. So as we think of Jesus being ascended into heaven, we can tell here that it was a bodily, physical ascension that was visible to all people. And they watched Jesus simply rise into the heavens until they could no longer see him in the clouds any longer. Jesus did not just uh, evaporate into some sort of mist. He didn't just poof away or he wasn't beamed up like on Star Trek, but rather Jesus ascended as the risen Savior, full of body, full of life, and he rose in to the heavens, and he was observed there by many onlookers. As Mark, the gospel writer, comments on this in Mark chapter 16, Mark 16, 19, adds this comments to what had happened there. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven, and then Mark adds these words, and he was seated at the right hand of God. Now, I'm a little disappointed in this as a left-handed person. But it's in that day and age, the right hand meant strength, it meant power, it meant authority. And so this is telling us that when Jesus rose from the dead, he then ascended into heaven, and there he is at God's right hand, where all power, where all authority, where all blessing is given to him at the right hand of God. 1 Peter 3, 22 says this, Jesus Christ who has gone into the heaven and is at the right hand of God, he's there with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. He's there at the right hand of God. He's got the power and authority and everything is subjected to him. And what is critical for us 
I think here is rather than just owning this aspect of Jesus' resurrection as an intellectual truth that we hold on to and that we just declare by rote in the Apostles' Creed, right? When we say the Apostles' Creed, right? He ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Uh, rather than just kind of mumbling our way through that and owning this intellectually, this truth should have a practical, tangible reality in our lives. Because good theology always leads to good living. And we should be infused with these words because the purpose of Scripture is just not that we, we have knowledge, but rather that we are transformed by the very words and beliefs that we have in the Scripture. And so I think we need to see here that these words infuse us and affect our lives and, and come into our, our world. At this point, we could probably talk about many other directions to go, but for our purposes this morning, I want to say this. Because Jesus has risen from the dead, he ascended, he sits at the right hand of God and where everything is subject under him, because Jesus lives, you can face temptation. Because Jesus lives, you can face temptation. When I say temptations, I mean those, those lures, those enticements, uh, all those... Um, that little bait that the enemy puts out there to draw us away from, from God, from God's way, from God's will, if we act on them. You see, the, the temptation in itself, where the enemy is just like lobbing it out there, like, you know, fish bait, just going, there it is, there it is, I want you to take it. Come on, so as soon as you take that, boom, I now have you, and you are out of God's will, out of God's way, out of God's purposes. Seeing the bait is not a sin. The enemy is going to continue while we live on this earth until Jesus comes again to put bait in front of us because he does not want us following God, God's ways, or God's purposes. So he's going to continue to throw those lures, those enticements out in front of us, and that is not a sin. Yes, it makes us feel a little ugly inside, but that's not a sin. The sin is when we act on it, when we take the bait, when we begin to put the bait where it infuses into our hearts and it becomes a way that we live and act and it's part of our, our being. Or as Jesus even said, he upped the game, didn't he? Jesus even said, if that bait lands itself in your mind, right? Because there are many people who are like, well, I didn't take the bait. I have not committed adultery. I'm fine. I have not committed adultery. And Jesus said, oh yeah, well, have you thought about committing adultery? Are you thinking about that other woman, you know, that neighbor down the street? Are you thinking about that that woman that you see and you want to commit adultery with her, boom, that's the bait, yep. Because now it's locked into your being and it's defiled you. And that's when it becomes a sin. But temptation itself is not a sin. We are all going to face those temptations. It's only when we take them, when we act on them, that we become like sheep who have gone astray. I heard author Jim Grant tell about a businessman who faced a temptation. This businessman was a, was a little overweight and he decided that he needed to uh, diet and pay attention to losing a few pounds. And so this businessman took this very seriously, this diet. In fact, he even altered his, his way to work so that he would not drive past his favorite bakery and be enticed by all the goodies that were there in the window and stop and, and buy them. 
But one day he showed up to work and he had a box full of just like the ooey gooeyest cinnamon rolls you could ever imagine. They were, they were drool worthy. And he showed up with those cinnamon rolls and all his coworkers began to chastise him and, and scold him. But he kept a smile on his face from one side to the other. And he said, these cinnamon rolls are divine. He said, on my way to work today, God ordained that there was a detour. There was construction, there was a pothole, there was a detour, and the detour took me right past the bakery. And there in the bakery window were all these ooey, gooey cinnamon rolls. And so I prayed to God, and I said, God, if you really desire for me to have one of these cinnamon rolls, may you make sure that a parking spot opens up in front of the bakery. And then I will know you want me to have one of these cinnamon rolls. And sure enough, after eight times around the block, one of the spots opened up in front. How about you this morning? Are you circling around temptation? Are you just driving around and around? Are you, are you dealing with a temptation this morning? Something that's capturing your heart? Something that's, that's going for your mind? Because there's lots of temptations out in the world. At one time, I gave some examples, and I'm like, this is not even close. I might not even well start here. But just let the Holy Spirit speak to you this morning. Are there temptations out there that, that you are facing? Because if you are, as I said, that's probably going to be pretty natural, pretty normal. Because the enemy is out there, and he is going to continue to entice us. But the good news that we have this morning is because Jesus is risen, because he sits at the right hand of God, Jesus is there, as we read in the scripture this morning in Hebrews 4.16, that Jesus is there to help us in our time of need. Jesus will help us in our time of need. And if you look a little earlier in Hebrews, in 2 verse 18, we get the same same message, because Jesus himself suffered when he was tempted, Jesus is able to help those who are being tempted. So twice here in Hebrews, we get the, the, the fact that Jesus is here to help us when we're being tempted. And the reason that Jesus can help us when we're being tempted, it says in, in 4 that Jesus was tempted in every way. Verse 4, 15. Jesus was tempted in every way. The divinity of Jesus did not keep him from experiencing temptation. As Jesus lived and he dwelled and he walked on this earth, he, he understood our, the emotions we have as we face these tem temptations. He, he um, knows the pain that we endure. He knows the enticement that these temptations give us. In fact, the Gospels record a significant event in Jesus' life where he was out in the desert being tempted by Satan over and over and over again. And so acting, so being tempted is not the sin. Acting on it is the sin. And Jesus was unable to sin because he was divine, because he was the son of God. And so yet as the enemy tried to entice him, tried to lure him, threw that bait out there for him, Jesus never took it because he could not sin. But Jesus knows, says the scripture, he can empathize with our weaknesses. He can empathize with our weaknesses. He knows how crafty the enemy can be. 
He knows what a struggle it can be. He knows how vulnerable to deception that we can be. And so Jesus faced all those temptations and he did not sin. He won the victory. And that's why Jesus can help us. I mean, I, I was thinking back to when I was in, in high school and a young guy trying to learn, you know, I was a, a wrestler in high school and, uh, and we had a, a guy show up who had graduated the year before and he was the state champion. And he came to teach us how to wrestle better. I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll learn from him, right? He was a state champion, I'll learn from him. Now, if you know, uh, Joe Smith just walked in and Joe Smith who had zero wins and 18 losses and had been, been pinned 15 times said, hey, I'm here to teach you how to wrestle. I'd be like, no, I'm not learning from you. You've been pinned 15, you, no, you're not a victory. <laughs> you, know, you don't win the victory. The same thing, we would not go to a finance guy who was in bankruptcy and go, can you tell me now how, how can I build up my net worth? No, you'd go to a Warren Buffett or somebody who has done it, right? We get that. And so in the same way here is that when we are tempted, I'm turning towards Jesus. Why? Because he faced all the temptations that I face. He knows all the weaknesses that I do. But in the end, Jesus prevailed. And Hebrews tells us right here, Hebrews tells us that Jesus can help us. Interesting in 2.18, it says Jesus is able to help those who are being tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. tempted. This phrase implies that Jesus has both a willingness and the ability to do it. He's willing to do it. I see my people, I see my church, I love them, I died for them, to keep them pure, to keep them holy, to keep them blameless, and I know that enemy is out there trying to, trying to bring them back into darkness in his ways, but I'm right there. I'm risen from the dead, I'm sitting at the right hand of God, and I am willing to help them, and not only am I willing to help them, I'm, I'm, I have the ability to help you. And also this, ver this verb of this phrase is one that is in pres present tense, which means he's continually able. It's not like the help plans that I have with my uh, IT programs or my uh, website designer people who said, oh, you've got a great help program, but you can only call in once a month. That's it. We don't have that with Jesus, right? Because imagine that, if Jesus just, it was, he's able to help you, but, it, but it's only once a month, it's, it's limited. I think I'd burn that up on the first day of the month, right? Maybe with even in the first hour of the month. But Jesus is there all the time, well Jesus, I did it again, I'm here to help you. I did it again, I'm here to help you. Whatever temptation we face, Jesus is there to help us at any moment. And the way that Jesus helps us is this, first, he helps us with his power. Jesus helps us with his power. Romans 6, 18 tells us that we are set free from sin and we now have become slaves to righteousness. Through his death on the cross, we have, in his resurrection, we are no longer slaves to sin. When Jesus went to the cross, he defeated sin and sin no longer has the power over us. Satan's lies have been exposed. His tactics have been proven 
wrong because the power of the cross crushed the enemy. The power of the cross crushed sin. The resurrection of Jesus brought to life our victory in that we are no longer slaves. Did you get that? We're no longer slaves or enchained to sin, but we've now become slaves to righteousness. That's who we are. That's who we are. But unfortunately, so many Christians adopt the Eeyore mentality when it comes, when it comes to sin. They're like, oh my, I'm tempted again and I gave in to sin. Oh my, I, I looked at that pornography again, I don't know why. Oh my, I just lied again, the enemy is just coming after me. And, and we're like a victim mentality, right? A victim mentality. But Church of Jesus Christ, we're not victims, are we? No, we're the victors. Remember what we had in Revelation? Who are we? We are overcomers. That's who we are, church. That's who we are in Jesus Christ. And that's the power that we have available to us. We are not slaves to sin anymore, but we have the power to walk in righteousness. Ephesians 1, 19 and 20. Ephesians 1 says this. And God's incomparably great, God gives his holy people the incomparably great power for those of us who believe. This, that power, listen to this, that power that's for you and for us is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the name to come. That same power, can you imagine the power that raised Jesus from the dead? I mean, I can't even imagine that power, but we are told here that we have that same power. So when the enemy wants to invade our lives and, and bring us into sin and death, what has God given us in our life? He's given us the same power that raised Jesus Christ in order to defeat the enemy. And so people of God, we are victors. That's who we are because we have the power of Jesus Christ. And so it's time that we live into that. We live into that. That's why Paul, when he talks about the spiritual armor, he tells us, put on the helmet of salvation. Know who you are. Know who you are. Who are you? You're victors. Does Satan have any power over you? No. He's defeated. That's who I am. I put that helmet of salvation on, knowing who I am. I'm a victor. And Paul tells us to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I'm not a sinner. I'm saved. I'm not under the chains of the devil. I've been set free. That's who I am. And I put that on, and that's how I have to live my life, knowing that. And when we do, James 4 says, submit yourselves then to God. Put that helmet of salvation on. Know who you are. Say, yes, I'm a victor. And then it says, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. What? He's just, he's just gone? Yeah, because I got the power of God in me. And the enemy doesn't stand a chance. We gotta claim that power of God in our life over that sin. 
You claim it. And then Satan is afraid of you because as the scriptures say, you are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. You have his same power. And so Satan has to flee. And I think we just simply need to remember to ask God, remind God. I think this is a commitment to prayer. If you're dealing with temptation, this is a commitment, one of prayer to put on who you are. God, I am a child of God. I've been set free. Sin doesn't have a hold on me. And so God, I come to you today and I know the enemy's going to put a lure out there. I know he's going to try to entice me. He does it time and time again. And God, I'm coming to you today and I'm claiming your power in my life. And once I do that, what does it say the enemy's going to do? Flee. He's gone. He's gone. And the scriptures tell us, ask, seek, knock, and you will receive. Ask God. Get desperate. God, I want, I'm sick of this temptation. Knock, God, I don't want any more of this temptation. God, please help me through this. And what do you think God's answer to that prayer would be? Yeah, get out of here. It's like, no, yes, I'm going to fuse you with my power because just after we read where Jesus tells us to ask, seek, and knock, he goes on to say, don't you know that your father is a good father and he knows how to give good gifts? That's what God will do. And maybe we struggle with our temptation because we're not on our knees and we're not claiming the power of God in our life and remembering who we are. People of God, that power is available to us. And not only does Jesus give us his power to be able to defeat sin, he also gives us his perspective to defeat sin. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of God dwell among you richly. We know that, what a rich, rich, get too many riches going on here. That word dwell is, I was gonna say, is a rich word. Because dwell means he's present, he's there, he's like camped out. And so this is saying, let the word of God, the word from Jesus, because who was Jesus in the beginning was the word. He is the revelation of God. He tells us the way of righteousness. He's the mediator who is saying, here's God, here's his holiness. Now let me tell you people, sinful people, how to walk into that holiness. He's the word. And when we let that word dwell in our lives, we're called, let's just live in it. Let's marinate in it. And again, back to the spiritual armor. Paul tells us to pick up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. In the spiritual armor there in Ephesians, the sword is the only offensive weapon. And if you were a Roman soldier in that day, you loved your sword. It was sharp on both sides. You could cut through anything back and forth. You could pierce anything. That was your offensive weapon. And Paul here is making that analogy and telling us, you're, you're fighting the demons. You're fighting the devil. You're fighting all the spiritual forces. You're fighting all those, those evil authorities. And well, how you fight them? Pick up the sword of the spirit. Dwell in the word of God. Obey what Jesus tells you to do into righteousness, and the enemy, again, will have to leave you. Matthew 4, isn't that exactly what Jesus did when he was tempted? Matthew 4, and we actually read about it in, in the other Gospels as well. But as I look at Matthew 4, I see in this story there is a lot of, there is a lot of uh, black letters 
which is the details and Satan talking, and then there's red letters of Jesus talking. And every time Satan tempts Jesus, says, verse four, Jesus answered, it is written. The sword of the spirit, boom, Satan. Then he tempts him again, verse seven, and Jesus says, it is also written. <laughs> boom, away from me, Satan. And then in verse 10, away from me, Satan, for it is written, again with the word, boom, Jesus attacks Satan again and again and again with the word. And friends, that's how we need to defeat the enemy, with the word. We tell you to, to read the word, not because we say you have to to be a good Christian, but it's critical if we wanna stand in the righteousness and in the holiness of God because the enemy's out there trying to pull you, trying to lure you, trying to get you out of there, doing whatever he can, but the word of God, as I hear what Jesus says to me, as I read the words and I listen to them, and every time Jesus said, hear the word, the, in Hebrew thinking, hear the word meant act on the word, right? My mom always said that to me growing up. You let it go right in one ear and out the other, right? That means... I didn't really hear her, right? Because, yeah, I heard her, but I didn't do what she asked me to do. And that probably only happened once or twice, really, <laughs> growing up. To be honest, I think she overreacted. Uh, it actually happened probably daily. But um, so you need to hear the word. You need to act on the word. You need to do what Jesus says to do. He goes, how will all men know you're my disciples if you do what I tell you to do? And why do we do it? Because he's the great mediator telling us how to walk in the ways of God. And when we're walking in the ways of God, the enemy has no hold on us whatsoever. Remember Jesus' simple parable about the wise man and the foolish man? The wise man built his house on the rock, the word. The foolish man built his house on the sand, the ways of the world, the lures of Satan. So then the temptations come, the rains come down, the wind blows, the one who's built on sand falls flat, but the one who is built on the rock stands. And could it be we're not standing up to temptation today because we're not holding on to that word? That we haven't owned the word, we haven't uh, memorized the word, we haven't meditated on the word, we don't know the word. That's why all the time we're saying, get into the word and read it. And so maybe if you need to face your temptation this week, spend more time with God, spend more time in his word and let him guide you in the ways of righteousness, in the ways that are right. The third thing I wanna say is Jesus not only helps us, you know, with his power and with his presence. I mean, sorry, the third one is his presence. Uh, his, his perspective and then his presence. He helps us with his presence. Galatians 5.16 says, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the spirit. Walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the spirit. Listen to how he uh, reads the rest of this. Walk by the spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another so that you are not to do whatever you want. 
but if you, you must be led by the Spirit. You can only be led in one of two ways. You can either be led by the way of the world, by the way of Satan, by the ways of his lures, which puts you on the wide path, which Jesus talked about, the wide road, which leads to death, or you can follow the ways of the Spirit on the narrow road, which leads to life. The two are in conflict with each other. You can't, you can't walk down a middle road. You can't do it. And so we need to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us to walk down the path of Jesus Christ. And that happens with the very presence of Jesus that comes and dwells and lives within us. When Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples and they were trying to make sense out of the fact that he said, I'm going away, and they're like, well, you're going away, you're leaving us. And he goes, yeah, it's a good deal. It's a good deal that I'm going away. And they're like, no, this is not a good deal that you're going away. He's like, yeah, it's a good deal that I'm going away because if, if I don't go away, I can't send the Holy Spirit. But when I do go away, when I do ascend to heaven, when I am seated next to God, I will send the Holy Spirit. I will send him to you. And then the Holy Spirit lives and dwells in each person, right? Right now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the day that you put your life in Jesus, his spirit comes to live within you. You remember what it says? It says light and darkness cannot live in, they're in conflict with one another. So either you're gonna be ruled by light or you're gonna be ruled by darkness. And so you have that spirit in you. And Paul said to the people who were questioning him on this, he said, well, don't you know? You are the temple of God. Wow, that's shattering, isn't it? If we think of what the temple was, the very presence of God, that's where you go to meet God. Now you're the presence of God. You have the Holy Spirit within you. You have the Holy Spirit within you. And what we need to do is we need to cultivate that spirit that lives within us because it will drive out the enemy. It will drive out the darkness. The presence of the Holy Spirit is righteousness, can have nothing to do with sin. Jesus said in John 15, abide in me, right? I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you're connected to me, you're gonna bear the fruit of the Spirit. You're gonna bear all the fruit of the goodness of God. But if you aren't attached to me, we're gonna cut you off and throw you away because you're dead and you're not, you're not worth the kingdom of God. Jesus says, stay attached to me because without me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. You see, I don't drive this, the, the enemy away on my own power, on my own resources, but I stay attached to Jesus Christ. And as his presence and spirit grows within me, the victorious spirit of Jesus that grows within me, it drives the enemy out. Satan has to go, because Jesus already has won the victory. And so what we do is we open ourselves up to what we would call the means of grace. And the means of grace are all those ways that God has provided for us to be filled with his spirit, to grow in our love and knowledge of Jesus Christ. We talked about that this week in the men's Bible study. How do we, it's like putting up a sail we talked about. How do we put the sail up so that the wind of the Spirit can blow into your sail and move you in the direction of, the, the, of righteousness, in the direction of God? And so we come to worship, and it fills us with the Spirit of God. We spend time in prayer, and it fills us with God's Spirit. We, we fill our minds with, with Christian uh, music and, and, we medit and we memorize God's words so that our minds are filled with the things of God. 
We confess when we do wrong. We repent. We commit to doing right. We give generously. We serve. We do all these things so that the Spirit of God can grow in us. And as the Spirit of God grows in us, we push the, the enemy right out of us. And so our default then is that we are walking by the Spirit. Again, I'm not trying. I'm not trying. I say, you know what, this morning I'm going to get up. And I'm going to walk in such righteousness that the enemy won't have anything to do with me. No, my commitment is I'm going to grow in my love and knowledge of Jesus Christ. I'm going to bring the spirit of Jesus in me. And then as a byproduct, right, Jesus talks about bearing fruit. Then as a byproduct of Jesus in me, I will push, I will push the enemy out. And that's what, we, that's what we have to do. Cultivate that spirit within us. Because then greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You've heard me share this before, that the number one question, because I was a youth pastor for a long time, uh, maybe longer than I should have been, but uh, I love kids. So uh, I was for a long time, and the number one question I got over those 30 years, uh, 20 years, 25 years, uh, was this, Pastor Bob, how far can we go, right? The big sex question. How far can we go and still be within what God wants us to do? And I never answered that question. I never, they wanted me to give them the line, right? They wanted me to tell them exactly what they could do and then still be in with God and not be out. I would say, learn to love Jesus better and it will take care of itself. Get into the word and love Jesus more. Be obedient to what God says and that's not even gonna become an issue for you because the spirit and the darkness, the flesh, they're in conflict with one another. Live by the spirit. That's the, that's, that's the solution. Live by the spirit. So people of God, as we face our temptations, uh, let us do here as the author of Hebrews says, they said, hold firmly to this faith. He says, hold firmly to this face, that we have a Jesus who has risen, he's ascended, he's at the right hand of God, he's there to help us in temptation. Let's hold firmly to the faith. This is an image of a, a little child who is uh, grabbing his parent's hand. You know, especially like when you're in a, an amusement park or you're going through a busy, uh, you know, a busy area, you just, you just scrunch your parent's hand and you don't wanna let go because you don't wanna be let loose. That's what he's telling us to do. Let's hold on to this as we face our temptation. Let's, let's, let's hold on to this. Let's hold on to the cross so tightly that we know that we have the power to defeat any temptation that comes our way. And, and let's, let's hold on to the, to the word of God and let it dwell and, and live within us. And let's hold on to the very presence of Jesus Christ, letting him fill us with his presence. And as we do that, as 1 Corinthians 10 says, God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. People of God, let's believe the good news and live it. Father God, we thank you for this word that we read here today, uh, that the risen Jesus, 
is not just a figment of imagination or something that was here 2,000 years ago or just some crusty old truth in a book, but that it is very real for us today. And God, we thank you that the risen Jesus is here today saying, I want to help you. And God, I just want to pray for your spirit today and pray for the hearts that are here, some that have maybe been facing these temptations of, of Satan and maybe where he's actually gotten us to take that lure, to take that enticement. And we've been dragged away out of your presence and out of the holiness of God. And, and as that temptation comes to our mind, God, right now, we just want to ask for your forgiveness. Hear us, God, as we, we think of those temptations that, that grab a hold of us, that are out there. Forgive us for when we've acted on them. Forgive us when we've let them rule our lives and spirit. Forgive us for when we have loved those things more than you. And God, we just pray in this day for a fresh indwelling of your spirit. So that we can fight this temptation because we want to be your holy people we want to be your ambassadors in this world we want to be your light on this hill and we know that light means that we are faithful to your will your ways and who you are and so help this church family god in whatever way we need it in this coming week, to stand, to stand against this temptation. And we thank you that we know we can do that in this week because you live, because you live. Pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. 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 Let us uh, stand together and let us just anchor our lives in that truth because he lives.